Hello there. Thanks for listening to the Elevate Christian Church podcast. We exist as a church to connect people with God and each other. Today's message comes to us from our lead minister and preacher, Kevin Barton. We hope this inspires you, grows you, and challenges you in your faith and your walk with Jesus. Enjoy! Uh, We are going to close out our series today on angels uh, and demons. And today we're going to look at the role that demons play or have in our culture. Um, These things are called demons in the Bible, unclean spirits, evil spirits. Um, and, And so what we, last week... We looked specifically at how demons attack us, what I call on the micro level, how they attack you individually, okay? And we just in in review, uh, let me me just give you the four points that we talked about last week in case you weren't here. Um, Demons attack all of us individually when we're by ourselves and they use, they have several tools in their toolbox. Um, The most common tool is temptation. Right? We are tempted by demons, not by God. God is incapable of tempting us with evil. And we're not just tempted by the devil. Um, we give the devil too much credit. He is not omnipresent. He can't be in two places at once. Um, he can only be with one person at one time. And so he has this army of demons that know our vices, that know our weaknesses. And temptation um, is a tool in their toolbox. We also talked about the tool number two that they use against you individually, obsession. Those voices that are whispered into your ear. Those obsessive thoughts over sin struggles. We used a couple illustrations last week. Perhaps there's a married man, uh, but he begins to flirt with another woman at work. All right, And then those obsessive voices, those obsessive thoughts, when you can't stop, you're laying in bed with your wife, but you can't stop obsessively thinking about that other woman. Or, or perhaps uh, you have a history of addiction, all right? And that voice in your head says, hey, just, you, you, just, just take a drink, just take a pill, all right? Just, just take a tote. It, it will, it'll calm you down. You, you need this. It's that obsession. The voices whispered into our ears. The third tool in their toolbox that demons use to attack us individually is called demonic oppression. That's when they press on us from the outside. They can take away health. They can take away peace of mind. They can take away safety. It's from the outside pressing in. And then we talked about the fourth tool that they use. That's the tool that everyone wants to talk about, demonic possession. That's when a demon enters into a person and possesses that person. They take either full or partial control of that person, depending on how powerful the demonic being is. And so a person can be physically and mentally possessed by these uh, demonic forces. And we kind of ended with a hoorah last week and said, listen, if you are a Christian, if you are a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, if he has washed away your sins, you don't have to fear or worry about becoming demonically uh, possessed. Because if we are Christians, we, our hearts are already possessed by God. God's Spirit, God's Son, God Himself lives inside of us and there's no room for demons there. Well, today, I want to put on a macro lens, if you will, 
and, 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 and talk about us on a macro level, uh, on how demons influence us, not just individually, but collectively as a culture, as a society. Uh, in other words, how are they trying to contain God in this world that we call home? Uh, so to begin with today, uh, let's talk about basketball. Now, I realize my audience here, I live in the, we live in the deep south, and nobody cares about basketball in this building probably except for me. But I want you to humor me for just a second and think about the sport of basketball. All right? And in your mind, I want you to answer this question. Who is the greatest basketball player that has ever lived? Some of you are old school, right? You're going to go Russell, Chamberlain. Uh, some of you might go Magic, Bird, Dr. J. Some of you new, new younger people might say LeBron, Steph Curry, James Harden. All right, But in my mind, the greatest basketball player to ever put on a pair of basketball shoes and enter the court was a man by the ball team in the NBA was whoever was playing the Chicago Bulls. But as I look back, as old men tend to do, and reminisce a little bit, there is just no denying the greatness of Michael Jordan. He won six out of six NBA championships. Now, had he not taken a two-year hiatus to try to play baseball, he probably would have won eight championships in a row. After his sixth championship, had they decided not to dismantle the team, he probably would have won 10 basketball championships in a row. There is just no denying the greatness of Michael Jordan. There was a sports commentator. He used to work for ESPN. His name was Dan Patrick. And back in the, the heyday of Michael Jordan, when, when they would do highlights and they would show game film, um, he would be commentating about Michael Jordan, and he would use this phrase over and over again about Jordan. It was this, you can't stop him, you can only hope to contain him. And, and what he was saying was this, Michael Jordan is so great. You cannot stop him. He's going to get his shots off. He's going to get his points in. The best that you can do is try to contain him from getting his other teammates involved. Because if he gets them involved, it is all over. So you can't stop him. You can only hope to contain him. So we have already discussed in this series that there has been this long war against God. It's a war between the angels and the demons. It's a war that Paul has told us that we are now involved in in the book of Ephesians, this spiritual warfare. But I want you to understand this, and, and many people might not know this. This is a war that the devil and his demons already know they're going to lose. They understand that they can't stop Jesus, especially after the cross and the resurrection. They know they're going to lose. They know they can't stop Jesus. He's the mighty lion of Judah. He is the victorious king. He's the unstoppable one. They can't stop him. They can only hope to contain him. You see, that's what spiritual warfare is about. Spiritual warfare is not about victory. 
If you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ, you have victory. He's going to win. I know it. Jesus knows it. They know it. So they can't stop him. They can only hope to contain him. And so spiritual warfare that's going on is not a war for victory. It's a war for containment. The only thing that the enemy can do is to try to contain the influence of Jesus. Contain the amount of people who choose to follow Jesus by attacking them, distracting them, cheating, and deceiving them. Okay, and so with that setting us up, I want to look at the role of demons or unclean spirits in our culture. They do many things, but I want to focus on two of the deadly things that demons use to influence our culture and try to contain us from spreading Jesus Christ. Number one, the first thing they do is they promote idolatry. I didn't say adultery. Adultery is actually a form of idolatry. Idolatry with an I. Idolatry defined as this. Image worship or divine honor paid to any created object. In other words, it's not about worshiping the creator. It's about worshiping parts of his creation. So when we talk about idolatry and and we talk about it in, in the biblical sense, we often think of something like a golden calf. Do you remember when Moses went up on the mountain to receive the Ten Commandments? He was gone for a minute. And, and they have got restless, and so they burned all their jewelry together, and they made this golden calf. Moses comes down off of the mountain. He sees them worshiping this idol, this golden calf. You remember he takes the, the Ten Commandments, and what does he do? He throws them on the ground, and he shatters them into thousands of pieces. That's actually a symbol of us. We have just made a mess of God's law. We have just shattered God's law. And then he rebukes them, and he's got to hike back up that mountain and receive those Ten Commandments again on on, on those uh, stone tablets. So when we think idolatry, we think of something like this. Or perhaps we think of Eastern religion. Uh, Those little statues that people kind of bow down to and worship. Uh, Maybe it's not this. Maybe it's a statue of of Buddha or some shrine or some image carved in stone. And so that's the picture that many of us have with this word idolatry. And we think, well, we're good. We don't do any of that. So we don't struggle at all with idolatry. But I want you to understand that idolatry can look way different than this right it can look like this next picture here it's all about the money I worship money the love of money is the is the root of all kinds of evil as long as I have money I've got prowess and power I can do what I want and so many people bow down to the almighty dollar or how about this next one we live in the deep south Every Saturday, in a, like a cult-like following, we'll wear the same clothes as everybody else. We'll paint ourselves up. We'll pay exorbitant amounts of money to sit in a stadium, raise our hands in praise, and cheer for just young men on a field, almost hero-worshiping these men. Or here's another one. Here's a small idol. All right? Some of you live this. 
Like some of you have a spouse that looks at that more than they look at you. And certainly more than they look towards God, right? And it's all about uh, my status, how many likes, how, how, many, how much endorphin can I get going in my brain? Oh, people like me. People are following me. And you, you, you're bowing down literally to this little device. Here's one that we seldom talk about. It was the famous wide receiver Terrell Owens who had the quote, I love me some me. And sometimes we are the idol, right? I'm the center of the universe. I'm the center of God's plan. Everything else revolves around me. I, I want to remind you that idolatry starts with I. I, I, I. And on and on we could go, right? You could idolize your children. Power, fame, sex, success. And so a working definition that we have used here at Elevate Christian Church for years, it's not my definition, preachers use it all the time, but it's one that really, that I can identify with is, is when we come to God, when we are saying, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm here to worship Jesus, we're to come like this. Hands open, arms open, God, I am yours. Use me, mold me, make me. Do what you want with me. Adultery, though, is we, when we come to God like this, but we have something closed in our hand. And we say, God, I'm yours. Use me, mold me, make me. But you ain't messing with this. This is non-negotiable. All right, and so you can, there's several illustrations. God, I'm yours. I'm your servant. But don't ask, don't ask me to give money. This is my money. I'm not tithing. I'm not giving to our community. It is mine. You might have an idol. Or, God, I'm here. Use me, but don't mess with my children. They're off limits. Or, God, I I'm here. Use me. M mold me. Make me, but don't mess with this addiction that I have. I've been, I've been struggling with it for 20 years, and I'm not going to put it down. I, 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 I love you, but I love this a little bit more. Okay, so, and you can fill in the blank. Anything that we come to God with and says, listen, I'm yours except for this, that is a picture of idolatry. Now, I don't know if you know this or not, but all forms of idolatry that we place before God, don't miss this, are demonically driven. They are put there with intention and with purpose. Idol worship is a ploy that demons use against us. God's been fighting this for a long, long time. Um, a connection between idols and demons is seen throughout Scripture. I want to just give you a couple reference points here. We first see it in the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a book we don't turn to very much. Deuteronomy chapter 32, picking up in verse 16, it says this. They, this is God's people, the Israelites, stirred him, God, to jealousy with strange gods. With abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. What's interesting is the phrase strange gods 
and demons that were no gods are synonymous here. And they are actually referring to demonic beings who set themselves up as gods in the hearts of men in order to steal glory from God. Gods like Asherah, gods like Baal in the Old Testament. These demonically driven idols. In fact, there's this weird situation in Leviticus chapter 17, verse 7. It says this, God says, They shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. I mean, that is some strong language used by, by God here. You've got God's children bowing down to these half-demon, half-goat creatures. And, and God basically later says, I'm about to have a come apart here because I'm a jealous God. I love my people, and I don't want these gods stealing their souls. There's the consistent connection between idolatry and demonic influence being made. In fact, when Paul's talking about idolatry to the church in Corinth, he says this in 1 Corinthians 10.20. No, I imply that what pagans sacrifice, they offer to demons and not to God. In other words, these idols, whatever they may be, they're making sacrifices and they think they're making them to their God, but they're actually making them to a demon standing behind that God. Then he continues and says... I do not want you to be participants with demons. And so passages like this should probably cause us to think a little bit. Okay, because the pagan sacrifices that Paul is speaking of here are sacrifices to false gods. And Paul is informing us that demons are behind this. Now we may not bow down to bronze statues or Asherah poles. But we put many things before God, right? In fact, we often worship what we desire. What's in that hand? What's in that closed hand? Our heart's desire becomes our heart's worship. Anything that we put in front of God, anything that we worship in place of God, even like your children, is an idol. And all idols end up destroying us. There's an ancient tale uh, from India that goes like this. Four brothers decided that they would each master a special ability. And time went by and the brothers met to reveal what they had learned. The first brother said, I have mastered science. And so I can take any bone from any creature and create flesh to go on that bone. The second one said, well, I know how to grow skin and hair if there's flesh on the bone. The third one said, well, I'm able to create limbs if I have flesh, skin, and hair. And the fourth brother con concluded, I know how to give life if the creature is in its full form and complete. Well, thereupon the brothers went into the jungle to find a bone so they could demonstrate this power. And as fate would have it, the bone they found was the bone of a lion. One added flesh to the bone, the second grew the hide and the hair, the third completed it with matching limbs, and the fourth gave the lion life. Shaking its mane, the ferocious beast arose and jumped on all four of its creators, four of its creators, killed them, and vanished contently into the jungle. Listen, demonic forces realize that we too have the capacity to create 
and idolize something that's going to destroy us, that's going to devour us. James said as much in James chapter 1. He says this, picking up in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he or she is lured and enticed by their own desire. Then that desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. And so we have to be very, very careful, don't we? Goals and dreams can consume us. Passions or possessions and property can turn on us and destroy us. We must seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all of these other things that don't really matter will be added onto us. So the question is this. If, you, if the closed hand analogy doesn't work for you, if it's not really making a connection, is how do I know if something's becoming an idol in my life? What, what, are, you know, what do I need to, to, to do to know this? Well, it's, I think it's a matter of answer, answering a simple four questions. And the questions are self-explanatory. I don't need to elaborate on them. It's this. Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? Where do I get my joy? And what's always on my mind? Let me repeat that. Where do I spend my time? Where do I spend my money? Where do I get my joy and what's always on my mind? And if we actually think about those questions, they will lead us to what either is an idol or what we might be tempted to make an idol in our life. We must not let anything, even a good thing, take the place of God's throne on our life. All this stuff is a ploy by the evil spirits. So the first deadly thing they do is they promote idolatry. Because if we can love something other than God, we don't have true love for God. And, and, and they know we're, we're in trouble. Okay? If that doesn't work, they use a second ploy. Number two is this. They promote, demons promote cultism and false doctrine in the Lord's church. In other words, if I can't get you to worship an idol, if I can't get you to love something more than God, I'll just get you to worship the wrong version of who Jesus is. I'll steal the identity of Jesus, mess it up, and get you to worship that Jesus that's not the Son of God that can't wash away your sins. Paul, um, the book of 1 Timothy is a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to this young preacher named Timothy. Um, real quick background, Paul goes to this really pagan, wicked city named Ephesus. He starts a church there. Uh, the church starts to boom and grow. And three years later, he's out because that's his job to go start other churches. And so he says, Timothy, uh, you're going to pastor this church. You're going to be in charge of this church. Well, the book of First and Second Timothy is Paul writing to him because there's problems in that church. And Paul's telling him how to deal with those problems. The biggest problem that that church faced was false doctrine. They weren't preaching the real Jesus. And so listen to the words of Paul in 1 Timothy 4, verse 1. Paul says, Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits. These are demonic spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid and, and re, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God has created to be received with thanksgiving. 
Okay, I think here's where it gets serious and we need to chat because what Paul is doing is he's warning us that there is a false doctrine and there's cultism that will lead people away from the truth. And it's in the church. There will be people who claim to love Jesus, who will teach in the name of Jesus, but they don't love Jesus. They love themselves, and they teach things that are demonic in their origin. And Paul says, hey, it works. You can fill a church up this way. People will eat it up because people want to have their ears tickled. They want to be pleased. They want to be entertained. They want powerful messages. They want them polished. And if you can do that, it doesn't really matter what you preach. You can sprinkle Jesus in there, but people are going to love it. Look at 2 Timothy 4, picking up in verse 3. For a time is coming when people will not endure sound doctrine, sound teaching. But having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And so you've got in the New Testament church here people teaching that seem to be great people. They're actually teaching in the name of Jesus. However, what they're actually doing is they're following the example of their leader, the devil. Look at what Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, For such men are false apostles, teaching or deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. So they're pastors, they're elders, they're deacons, they're church leaders. They say they love Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. If we saw the hideousness of Satan in the, in the demonic world, we could turn away very easy. But he, they disguise themselves. Then the money verse is verse 15. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. Well, who are Satan's servants? The demonic world who use false prophets to promote false doctrine. All right, so just for a second here, I'm going to go from preaching to meddling a little bit in, in some of your lives. I believe there are two modern-day teachings that are absolutely plaguing the American evangelical church, and we have bought them hook, line, and sinker. These are two teachings that I believe are demonic in their origin. The first one is this. God is here to bless me. That's what it's all about. Why? I mean, who wouldn't want to bless this? Look at me. I am awesome. I, I'm, a, I'm a child of God. I've got this awesome faith. He's going to bless me. That's my destiny. Okay, and so without calling anyone out, because I don't want to get sued, um, I, I would warn you as your pastor to avoid teachings from anyone in what is called the word of faith theology. You might know it as prosperity gospel. The word of faith teaches and holds to the teaching that that's God's primary motivation to bless you. And if you're his child, you're not going to have any problems. You're going to be blessed in your life, in your finances, in your relationship, in your marriage, 
in your health, and you're not going to have any problems. And if you do have those problems, it's simply because you don't have any faith. I've even heard one preacher go as far to say, hey, you know, my wife was at the mall on Christmas, at Christmas time, and there was nowhere to park, and all of a sudden a parking spot opened up for her right in the front because that's how God works through prosperity gospel. Listen, without getting too far into it because we don't have the time, I believe that's the biggest demonically driven teaching the church faces today. It is simply not biblical. Jesus warns us, hey, in this world that you live in, you will have trouble. Christians will get cancer. Good, godly Christian parents will have children that rebel. Good, godly people, bad things will happen to them. There will be pain. There will be suffering. That's because we live in a fractured world. So be very, very careful of that teaching that God is just simply here to bless me. The second I think uh, demonically driven uh, teaching is this. I got to find it. I lost it in my notes. That's embarrassing. I just have to go from memory. I, I lost the page out of my, my, my script here. The second teaching is this, is that God is here to respond to me and not the other way around, right? In other words, listen, the Bible, it's about me. It's God's love letter to me. It's God's roadmap for my life. And if, if I need something in his sovereignty, he's going to do it for my good. Not for his good, but for my good. I, you know, God responds to me. In actuality, we are to respond to God. You see, nothing could be further from the truth. God already responded to us by sending his son Jesus Christ to die on the cross. The Christian faith is now about how are we going to respond to that great gift. Obedience, sacrifice, picking up our cross, becoming the least of these. How are we going to respond to that great gift? I love what the great theologian A.W. Tozer said, uh, I pull this quote out about once a year because it just is a quote that has really radically changed my life, and it's this. He says, quote, What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Now, I want you to, I want you to think for a minute. There are demonically driven forces and teachers who will take the identity of Christ and steal it. They'll preach in the name of Christ, but they're not preaching the true gospel. They're just using his identity, right? Has anybody ever had their identity stolen? Not very much fun, is it? Somebody steals your identity, runs up your credit card. Okay, this is what they're doing. They're stealing the identity of Christ and perverting it, and people are essentially worshiping the wrong version of who Jesus is. So A.W. Tozer says, listen, the most important thing about you is not who you marry, is not what you're going to name your kids, 
is not what your career path is or where you're going to go to school. The most important thing about us is what comes into our mind when we think about God because we want to worship the right God. We have to worship the right Jesus. Now, you understand if you're worshiping the wrong Jesus that we're not really worshiping Jesus. Paul says in Galatians 1.8, we're winding down here, he says this, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. You see, demons, if they can't get us to bow down to idols and put them before God, they'll move to perverting God's gospel and having us worship the wrong Jesus. Okay, and you can see it in our culture, right? Some people worship the bless me Jesus. He's just here to bless me, man. I need this, 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 and I need it by Tuesday. Just bring them blessings. Kind of like he's your sugar daddy or a genie in the bottle. Just bless me, bless me. All right, some people worship the save me from myself Jesus. Right, you're, you're struggling with the same addictions and the same sin that you were 20 years ago because you're waiting for Jesus to just come take it from you. Instead of picking up that cross and being obedient and making sacrifices and saying, you know what, I love you more than this. This is killing me not to do this, but I love you more. See, it's, it, we have free will. We have to choose that. Some people worship the, uh, the hip, cool, all-inclusive Jesus, right? It's all good. You're my boy. It doesn't matter really what you believe. It doesn't matter what your sin struggles are. All paths lead to heaven. As long as you have a pure heart, you can worship Confucius or, or Buddha or Muhammad. It doesn't really matter. Jesus is a good guy. We're all, everybody's in. Come on in. And on and on we could go with the different versions of Jesus that people worship. You see, if demonic forces can do that, they can steer a large number of people away and contain the influence of Jesus very, very quickly. Demons, fallen angels, evil spirits, principalities, the devil himself, they understand they cannot stop Jesus. The only thing they can do is to hope to contain him. By causing you and I to worship things other than Jesus, or to steal the identity of Jesus and worship a false Savior. I've been here for 20 years now, and I'm just simply here to preach to you like always. I'm here to preach to you this message. God loved you so much that he gave his one and only son that you might not perish but have eternal life. I'm here to preach to you that Jesus Christ was hung on a tree and crucified and suffered immeasurable pain, but he rose on the third day victorious. I'm here to preach to you that the Son of God ascended into heaven and is now preparing a place for us, the church, whom he loves with every fiber of his being. I'm here to preach to you that this same Jesus is not coming back as a little lamb led to be slaughtered, but he's coming back riding a white horse 
with fire blazing from his eyes, with a sword coming out of his mouth to divide and judge the nations, with a tattoo on his thigh. He's coming back in all his majesty, riding the clouds in all his glory as the mighty Lion of Judah who will grab the tail of the devil, sling him around like a rubber band, cast him and all of his demonic followers into the pit of hell, and he will be the King of kings, the Lord of lords throughout all eternity. And the enemy knows that. And they're simply here to contain, to kill, to steal, and to... to destroy. The only victory that we have from being purified from all of our sins is a free gift. The atoning blood of Jesus Christ. We hope you enjoyed listening to our podcast today. If you'd like to learn more about Elevate or partner with us in what God is doing here, check out our website at elevatecc.com. Until next time, God bless you and thanks again.